Welcome to the Evolve Podcast, a podcast about disrupting your life to spark new evolution. Evolve your body, evolve your mind, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. And now it's time to disrupt. And we're live. Miles, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yeah, man. We're coming into the third week of January when we're recording this episode. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that's on the top of my mind is uh, New Year's resolutions. We talked about this in the first week of January. Do you know that uh, by the time people reach this time of the year, about third week into January, only 8% of people have stuck to whatever they resolved to do on January 1st? Right. And by the time we get to March, the drop off, drop off is even bigger. There's a really small percentage of people that follow through with their New Year's resolutions. And yeah. unfortunately, I'm on the long line. I'm, those are my friends. <laughs> are you uh, are you in the 70% that's dropped off already? No, not yet. Not yet. I got, I got some really good, good shit going on right now. And, 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 and I've never been in this position before in terms of aloneness and solitude. Mm. So you know how sometimes you you'll you'll set up a New Year's resolution and you know if you're gonna slip or fade away. You you kind of know. This one right now doesn't feel like it's gonna slip and fade away. Like I actually feel like I'm ensconced in this thing that can actually happen. Yeah. I got that you know? feeling when we talked at the beginning of the month. I think you're pretty committed right. to yeah. it. And you know, yeah. one of the things I found over the years, I went back through uh at the end of the year and pulled out some journals. And I was going back through some journals. And one of the biggest mistakes I made for years and years is I committed to far too many goals at the beginning of the year. And I probably achieved one or two. And so I just cut it down. I don't really, I'm not a big resolution guy, but I love having one major goal that I'm going after. And that's the thing I'm chasing. And what I find is if I can focus it into one goal, as soon as I accomplish that, doesn't matter whether it's two months in, three months in, or it takes me the entire year, then I'll shift goals after that. You know, one of the things, I don't know, maybe we should do this while it's still early, because it's one of our central themes here at Evolve is the whole idea of your tribe. Yeah, big time. Because your your, your tribe can keep you accountable. You know, the tribe, especially if, if you set up a, like a rule with the tribe, never give in to my weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, so I call you up one day and I go, Steve, you know, I'm not feeling it today. And you, and all of a sudden you chime in and go, well, you know, it's going to happen. You're going to have days like that. No, no, no. We should not have that. Fuck that. But the minute I go, I'm falling off. You go like, get back on the horse, get, get it together, do what you need to do. Yeah. Get your ass moving, find your energy. And, and that's like the tribe holding each other accountable for the New Year's resolutions. We might think about that going forward. Well, it's been fun to do that with you because when when yeah. we talked at the beginning of the year, since then we've had multiple conversations about our goal. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I mean, every time I pick up the phone to call you, even if it's just to chat or if it's talking about something with the podcast, I think to myself, well, shit, how am I doing? I got to report to Miles how I'm doing <laughs> right? on my New Year's resolution. So uh, I, I'll tell you, I'm with you on that. I think it's uh, I think it's an important thing to build that tribe out. And speaking of big goals. Tonight, we've got Leah Yingling on the podcast, and this is going to be a fun one. I think a lot of people, when they talk about setting a goal, it's, oh, I'd like to lose five pounds, I'd like to lose 10 pounds, whatever it is. Leah runs 
<laughs> to 100 miles at a time. I mean, can you yeah, imagine no. that? I, don't, I get tired. You imagine? I get tired All driving right. 50 miles. Well, I just think of your resolution. You're, you have a New Year's resolution where you're going to say like, you know what? I want to start running and then go start small, run like a half a mile. And we're talking to a woman who's already run around the planet 10 fucking times. <laughs> yeah, that's well, going to be a fun one tonight. We're really excited <laughs> to have her. And with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast. Joining us remotely in his basement in Oberlin, Ohio, the most interesting man that I know is W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Thank Miles. You. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. And Thanks. in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. Uh, as I said before, today's guest is Leah Yingling, probably the best name we have had on the podcast. Uh, Leah is a Salt Lake City-based ultra-marathon runner for the Solomon Trail running team. Since her first 50K race in 2015, Leah's finished over 30 ultra-marathons. So I think you're right, probably halfway around the planet, Miles. <laughs> Ranging in distance from 50K to 100 miles. Leah is especially fond of mountain races of 50 miles and beyond along the Wasatch Front. Her most recent 100-mile finish was the Bear 100, a race that starts in Logan, Utah, which for people who don't know, Logan is a fairly high elevation town. And it also, uh, and this race winds up over the mountains of Logan Canyon and finishes at Bear Lake in Idaho. Leah also holds two of the top 10 fastest times ever for a woman on the course. That is impressive. Outside of running, Leah is a biomedical engineer by training and works full-time in the field of electrophysiology. She attributes her success on and off the trails to her passion, for the intersection of science and ultra running. Leah approaches her training, racing, and preparation methodically, but she also finds joy in the challenges and problem solvings, uh, problem solving that ultra marathons require. Her running goal, now here's a resolution for you, Miles. Her running goal for 2022, you ready for this? It's to no, earn probably entry. not. Yeah, you couldn't do it. So we're just gonna <laughs> leave this to Leah. It's to earn an entry into the esteemed Western States 100 mile endurance race. I mean, that goal alone is impressive. Leah Yingling, wow. welcome to the Evolve podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really looking forward to our conversation tonight. Yeah, Thank you for the great introduction. Well, it's quite impressive. I mean, uh, like I said, I get tired driving or 50 miles. <laughs> And you are running it. So thanks for taking a break uh, from your running to come and chat with us. You're not even on a treadmill right now, which is I impressive. am not. I'm not. I'm relaxing. <laughs> good, good. Recovery is important. Uh, my first question for you is what is the diagnosed mental disorder that causes a person to want to run 100 miles? That's a great question. I don't have the answer to that. I think... I'm still trying to find that. I get that a lot, actually. And a lot of people always want to know what you think about for 100 miles. And my mind's all over the place. <laughs> no yeah, specific answer for that one. But I think a lot of us are just a little bit crazy. And we have other ways of, uh, you know, taking that crazy out. Yeah. And yours is just in the running realm, which yeah, is exactly. great. <laughs> talk, uh, talk about how you got into running. Why running? What was it that uh, made you feel like this was a passion that you needed to follow? Uh, yeah. So running for me was something I got involved with when I was in grade school. I have um, three sisters and we're all very close in age. 
Um, my parents had all, there's four of us total, all girls, and we are all under the age of three. So I have, I'm a twin. And so we are all in high school at the same time. So it's ninth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 12th grade. Um, and I started running just by watching my older sisters in high school. And we were all on the cross country team at the same time. And it was something I found a lot of passion in sharing with them. Um, and just moving my body, enjoying it. And really the community aspect of it is what I liked the most. I never particularly found much joy in racing. It actually brought me a lot of anxiety in high school, but I've grown a little bit out of that over the years, but it just mostly the way running makes me feel. Um, it's an outlet, it's a reprieve, and it's a great way to spend time with people. And I find that I end up spending a lot of my quality time with other people through running. Um, so for me, it's just another pastime that um, helps me build relationships and maintain relationships. Yeah, that's pretty. You know, impressive. you could build relationships by not running. You could just sit around I know. and talk to people. It's easy. I multitask <laughs> running. I get a good, a good exercise, and I keep my friends. <laughs> yeah, and we've got some people that listen to the podcast, Leah, that are sitting there and saying, "Well, I run from relationships yeah. <laughs> rather than running to develop the relationships." So right. you and they don't even run that sisters. far. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. They just run away. Yeah, they just run away. Emotionally, run away. <laughs> Uh, and you've got a relationship with somebody called shit in the woods, right? <laughs> yeah, that is my husband. And he is very proud of his Instagram handle. I'm proud um, of, him, of his Instagram. That's yeah, great. he doesn't know how he got it back way back when he probably established it about eight years ago. But I'm sure it's a hot commodity and a lot of people probably want it um, these days. But yeah, he took it and ran with it. And he wants to brand it in many ways. So yeah, I'm... Uh, it's, I'm very fond of the way when we're on the trails, especially here in Utah, when people either know us via Instagram, um, either mm. me or Mike, they'll always see them on the trails. They'll be like, are you shit in the woods? It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Miles, <laughs> that's like husband. when, uh, yeah, Miles, when uh, Miles calls me up and he's like, are you shit? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I feel like shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, his handle is shit in the woods. I like doing shit in the woods, and sometimes <laughs> I shit in the woods. I think that's the best title for an Instagram. It's uh, very profound. Yeah, it's extremely profound. Tell him I'm a big fan. So the relationship with him is kind of a continuation of this theme of developing relationships with others, um, developing the relationship with your sister. Uh, talk about how much of the the tribal uh, training, this group training, plays into what you do. Uh, all of it, actually. Um, I am very difficult to self-motivate sometimes. So yeah. I find that a lot of my motivation is found in other people. Uh, my accountability is in other people. And I always tell Mike, my husband, I, I tell him that, you know, if he's injured or if he's not training, he's feeling sluggish, like, I'm feeling sluggish. So I think a lot of my drive is in other people, um, for better or for worse, but I, I find a lot of passion through those relationships and through, I don't sharing running and sharing something I enjoy with other people. And it was actually through Mike kind of how I started doing ultra marathons. Um, I had done marathons and half marathons prior to meeting him. And I met him through my two older sisters who went to the Naval Academy, which is where Mike went as well. And they were all on the marathon team there and they had dabbled in ultra marathons. And then I had met him um, about six years ago now. And when I met him, I had talked about, okay, I've run marathons. I plan on doing 
a 50 mile or a 50 K one of these days. Um, we hit it off and soon after meeting each other, our entire first summer dating was spent traveling to and from races together. Um, wow. so he would do the 50 K I would do the 25 K he would do the 50 miler. I would do the trail marathon. Um, and then before he went on his final deployment, I was like, okay, my goal is going to be to run a 50 K run my first ultra before you deploy. Um, so we trained for it together. We did a lot of races leading up to it. And it was kind of just a celebration of training, a celebration of our relationship and a celebration of all the things we enjoy and doing those things together. Um, so I think a lot of what I do is completely community driven and relationship driven. And I think I'd be hard pressed to find a run that I do that's solo. Um, I probably do 90% of my training with other people. So I think that so pretty much not- speaks for itself. Yeah. yeah. So this is interesting because most of the runners that I've met and, you know, when I was working at uh, Lifetime in uh, Utah and even the runners in, in, in New York City, where I'm from, there, w- there was always this sense of this introversion about the running, the silence, the quiet, mm-hmm. you know, and you're like the first person who I've talked to who makes all- running sound like an extroverted activity, <laughs> you know, the community of talking and being with other people. And I've never thought of it like that. It almost makes me think, had I approached it from that perspective, I might have been able to run a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm the opposite where I, a lot of the people that I know that do uh, the races, they get into it with a group. They've got a run club. They've got something that keeps them going. A couple of things you said, Leah, that uh, popped out to me. One is that you've got this external motivation. And I think that's important, knowing whether you're internally motivated or externally motivated, and then working your system, the way that you train, what you do around that. I think that's essential, right? I don't think that one is better than the other. I actually think it's probably hardwired into us uh, because some people tend to be more socially motivated. And I think that that's great that you you put that... uh, you know, that, that system in place where you've got this external motivation. Yeah, I think it's um, especially good for me that I recognize that that's where I find my motivation right. um, yeah. because it helps me go into a week, for example, that might be a big training week for me, a big peak of my um, volume and say, Mike, who I train with all the time, isn't running mm-hmm. that much this week. It helps me schedule out runs. It's like, okay, I will run with this person on this day, just so I feel accountable. So I get it done and it's on the schedule and I have a very hard time, you know, letting people down by not showing up to run. So it, it motivates me to get there and do that. And then it's also, like I said, you, you kill two birds with one stone by catching up with a friend when you do it. Um, but I also think for me, a lot of it is, um, some element, I do a lot of trail running and I don't feel particularly safe as a woman on the trails very yeah. often. Yeah, um, so for thing. me, it's also a safety mechanism as well. So not only is it, you know, catching up with a friend and getting my training in, but also having a buddy with me makes me feel safer for whether I am or aren't, but it just is uh, kind of like a safety mechanism I'd say as well. Yeah. That's a pretty common theme with women that do trail running. They, they're, mm-hmm. they don't feel as safe hiking or exactly. trail running by themselves. Yeah. My wife's mentioned that a couple of times in the summertime, she likes to get up and go for a trail run uh, on a trail that's pretty close to her house. And there are times where she'll come home and her heart's racing and she's like, I ran into a creepy guy yep. and she's got, you know, she had to, whether she was in danger or not, she just had to run faster to get away or she typically will carry a thing of mace with her when she's out and uh you know pretty common theme but let's go back to this idea of building the relationships while you're moving i think that 
From my personal perspective, some of the best relationships I have have been built through physical activity, whether it was a team that I was on or whether I'm working out with somebody. Uh, you know, I feel like my wife and I, our relationship is at its best when we're doing something active together. We're going for a walk on a regular basis. We're working out in the gym. We're going for hikes, those types of things. There's something about the physical and the and the social when it combines together that just seems to create a deeper level. Talk a little bit about that and what your experience has been. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I always think about this idea of, okay, if I say you're getting stuck on a project at work, stuck on something, um, and you feel like you've completed your day and you've accomplished pretty much what looks like nothing on paper, I always mm -hmm. say then my run is at least something I can like check the box on and it makes me feel accomplished in that day. Um, and then doing that with somebody else is also, you know, quality time, but also something that like you share together. Um, yeah. An yeah. idea that you bring up here that I think a lot about relates to ultra marathons is um, in hundred milers, especially a lot of the races in the United States allow um, pacers to come along. So they're not necessarily oh, yeah. like mm -hmm. the pacer that you think about in a marathon that's trying to like keep you on a specific goal time. It's more to share the journey with you and to help you through highs and lows when you're at mile 80 or mile 70 and you're, you want to give up. Um, I think that's where the relationship relationship building for me really plays a key role is in those very difficult moments, whether it's in a normal training week when you don't want to get out the door, but really in those long races, whenever you're tired, you're exhausted, you need something extrinsic um, mm -hmm. to push you forward. You need somebody there with you um, to really push you to the next step, to confide in, to like really challenge you to accomplish something like you might not think you're capable of necessarily. Um, I think that I, I really enjoy that element of um, community in my running, especially is sharing those highs and lows um, and really sharing all of it. It's not just, you're not just seeing me at my highs. You're not just seeing me at my lows. You're seeing me across the entire spectrum. Um, and I think that's something that's really special about it. There's a vulnerability to that. And I mm -hmm. think great relationships are built on our ability to be vulnerable, for people to see our highs, see our lows. And let's be honest, 50 miles into a race, you're not rocking your pumps and your best dress <laughs> and your makeup and your hair is not on point, right? Yeah, this never. is probably physically the one of the worst places that we can look at ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's something about friends that are there for us in the difficult times, friends that can celebrate in the wins, where it creates this, this better connection. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think about that in our races too, you're always putting together a crew. So it makes me think a lot about how you talk about a tribe. Um, usually for a hundred miler, you develop a crew. It might be like three or four people who yeah. help you out at aid stations, like at your pit stops, and they need to know what you want. Um, and it's not something that they're guessing about when you roll into an aid station. It's something that you talk about prior or they just know you so well that they can predict almost what you want. Or if you look a certain way, they're like, okay, I know what this means. I need yeah. to get rid of this, whether that's like physical or mental, regardless. And I think that's a, that's a sign of great. Yeah, yeah, go for it, Mike. Yeah, I just, I just really hope that our listeners are actually really focusing on what we're talking about because I think so many people look at running as such a solo act. Mm -hmm. yeah. And 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 again, honestly, you are the first person I've ever heard talk about it from a community perspective, 
you know, a tribe. And so the person who's sitting at home thinking that they've always wanted to run, but, you know, it's too solo now that they can listen to this and go, let me just go recruit a couple of my friends. Maybe I have some other friends who've wanted to run and they're sitting back thinking about it as a solo endeavor. And, but it's not, you know, we could go run together. We can talk, we can figure out where we take breaks and things like that. So I think for our listeners, what we're talking about right now is really super, super important for a certain portion of our community. Well, you know, I think anybody that uh, wants to get into a goal, the best way to do it is to have, to develop that tribe first, because the tribe will keep you accountable. And I think, yeah. Leah, uh, Leah, you talked about something that, uh, sorry, I, I've got this person that I work with, her name is Leah, and it's the same <laughs> thing, so I keep going back to that, I apologize. I respond to both of them. <laughs> Good, thank you. I respond to many things, hey, hey dummy <laughs> or asshole, those are generally the ones I hear. But Leah, you talked about how your tribe Star Wars out of his head. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You talked about how your tribe is looking at you and paying attention to some of these cues, and and that they know what you need based on those cues. Mm -hmm. Maybe the eyes are looking uh, down may, when you come in. Maybe your shoulders are slumped forward. I think that there's uh, something to be said for having people in your life that when you spend enough time together you develop a sense for what that other person's body language is and you can respond to that i mean talk about how, how that's affected you over the years yeah i think um a lot of my closest relationships um naturally have been through have been through running um and a, you might i have a friend that we always she has a very stressful work life um and we're always running together and we catch up after she has a stressful shift and I always say sometimes it's like, I'm just there to listen. Mm -hmm. And I think that piece is really important that sometimes like you're the sharer or other times you're really just there to listen. Yeah. And I think that helps you learn those who are close to you and really learn how to respond in those moments. Because a lot of those friends are the ones that I end up either crewing or pacing in these longer races. Um, so I think it's really like these building blocks of spending time with them on in your day-to-day -day life, but then also in these like big milestone moments, like training or running a hundred miler. Um, so it's similar to like how you build relationships is you building those blocks um, in a training block, for example, to a hundred miler. But I think relationships are the exact same way when you think about it in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I read something oh, in a book, I wanna say probably 30 years ago, uh, that aside from the basics of food, water, and shelter, the number one human need that we all have is to be understood. We, that's probably our greatest emotional need that we have and having another person that can understand and empathize because they've been with you through the tough times and through the winds i think it's a beautiful thing and it's amazing to hear your story and how you've accomplished this i want to back up just a little bit you know um when i was a kid i was always told not to smoke weed because it was a gateway drug for other drugs i've heard in the marathon community don't run marathons because it's a gateway drug for ultras um, and I think that you just proved that point. It's true. Um, talk a little bit about going from being a marathon runner to an ultra marathon runner. Miles, are you ultra at anything? I don't think I'm ultra at anything. Leah is ultra. So talk about going from the gateway drug to the real drug. I like, I like that you guys are talking about that. Yeah. To ultra. Cause my uncle recently called it. Um, he was telling his friend about ultra marathons and he called it extra mar I'm an extra marathoner. Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know if he understood the difference, but I was like, that's pretty much the same. I'm just an extra. Yeah. yeah just an extra. Um, but I actually, like, in terms of training, I think a lot of it 
really has been the same. Um, the only thing that is really different is sometimes how you structure a training block. Mm-hmm. So for example, in a typical like marathon training block, you do like one long run a weekend. Um, typically I'll do two. And it's like really that back-to-back long runs that are crucial um, because they teach you how to run on tired legs. And especially when you're mentally tired too, how do I get myself out for that second run on the weekend? So I did 20 miles on 20 miles on Saturday. I'm going to do, you know, 16 on Sunday. How do I really like mentally wrap my head around that and motivate myself to get out the door? Um, so I think my transition from mostly marathons to ultra marathons also happened to um, happened when I went more from like roads to trails as well, which will also happen around the time when I moved from the East coast, um, Mm, out to Utah in 2016. Um, so that shift happened pretty naturally when I came out to Utah, I saw all the mountains and it was very hard to not want to run in the mountains all the time. So that naturally ended up happening. Um, but I think the transition out, um, to ultra marathons to, took me on a completely different shift in my mindset in terms of training. Um, so when I was running on the roads a lot, you're always focused on your pace. You always know what you should be doing or could be doing, and you're holding yourself to a specific standard the whole time. So, you know, say I'm training for a three hour marathon. I know that's six fifty two pace. I know like if I'm not hitting that in workouts, blah, 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 it goes on and on. And it's this anxiety almost of I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough. And you almost feel defeated day in and day out. Um, something that attracted me to ultra marathons, especially on the trails was the fact that, you know, there really is no standard. You're not holding yourself to a specific standard pace goes out the window. Whenever you're climbing a 8,000 to 10,000 foot peak, you're just trying to get from the bottom to the top. Um, so taking that standardization out of it kind of was a breath of fresh air and a weight lifted off my shoulders of I'm going my own pace. It's entirely effort-based and it became so much more enjoyable to me when it was just my effort and no standard to compare myself to. So let me ask, this is interesting. This is really interesting because I was, when I was reading your bio, some Mm -hmm. things caught my eye. And one of the things was the intersection of science and ultra marathon running. Mm -hmm. And it just sounded like a second ago that science carries you to a certain point, but after a while you have to abandon science when you just said it just becomes a run of effort. Yeah, that's a great point. I really do because I think um, science plays a piece in it. I find that my love for science and the intersection of science and my running really comes to fruition on race day and planning for a race, planning how I pace a race, planning everything that I eat for 22 and a half hours, um, planning how I adjust to the elements. I'm pretty regimented when it comes to adapting and troubleshooting during a race. And, you know, I'm low on electrolytes. I know what that feels like. I need to get myself salt tabs and I adjust accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the science piece really comes into play on race day, but the more emotional piece is the everyday training for the race. Mm-hmm. And I think That's you're right though. I, I let science kind of goes out the door on the day-to-day stuff for the most part, but I see it come into play the most come race day. Well, there's an interesting piece to this, though, uh, that I want to challenge from a scientific standpoint, because I just finished up a book by the author Gay Hendricks, Mm -hmm. and I'm actually on to his second book now. And in the books, he talks about the two differences between time. And oftentimes we think of time as an external construct. It lives outside of us. 
but that's more so Newtonian time is the way he describes that that you know we think of time as it's a sparse commodity we use it or lose it or something like that right and there's all of these constructs that we play uh, into this external construct of time but if we think about it relative to what Einstein and his theory of relativity that time actually lives with inside of us and it's all relative and I think when you look at from a scientific standpoint, go back to look at uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's research on uh, this flow state and how many studies he and his cohorts did on the state of flow that people get into. One of the most common themes of that state of flow is time becomes nothing. You are in this ultimate state, you're out there running and time seems to fly, but it stands still all at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. You're just, you're in this moment that just feels like it could last forever, but not in a bad way. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's, I think when we get into something like you're talking about, which when you're trail running, it is a different uh, it's a different game. You're paying attention to not falling, or you're paying attention to going up that uh, ultra grade without coughing up your lung. Exactly. And so your focus is not on this external construct of time. Uh, talk a little bit about, I know you mentioned before that your mind can be all over the place in a race, but what about when you get into that flow state? What does it feel like when you're just in that perfect moment mm -hmm. as you're running. Yeah, they're, um, I want to say they're few and far between, but they happen a lot, actually. Um, it's, I think it's a very cerebral experience um, because you almost feel, you feel like you're almost like out of control, but entirely in control at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's how I like to think of it in races, especially, um, especially if you paced a race well. I think you get in that flow state late in a race where things are just happening. I recently um, did a hundred K two weeks ago um, this weekend. And my, I picked my husband up as a pacer at mile 40 of 62. So okay. 62 miles long. And I got him at mile 40. And when I, he started pacing me, he was running behind me and he said, how are you doing? And I said, I feel like a machine right now. Yeah. And he said, how so? And I said, I'm just, I'm eating on every 25 minutes. I'm taking salt tabs when I need to, I'm hydrating. And it was just this state of flow that I was sustaining myself and just, I was in the moment and doing everything that I needed to do just to like maintain that state. Um, and it almost felt like I was entirely out of, like out of control. Cause like I was just doing it so, so naturally. And I think that's what happens in that flow state. It's like your mind lets go and you're almost like going through the motions, but in the best way possible. Yeah. So that's, mm. that's really how it feels to me. And it's like, I get that way in a lot of my normal training runs, but it's, there's something different when it's in a race because it just, it feels like it's everything you trained for. And it's just so natural. Yeah. It, it almost, it almost sounds like music. You know, I, I yeah. go through the same thing. Um, when I get up in the morning, you know, I make coffee and I go right to the piano and I usually do about two hours on the piano. Wow. The first 20 to 30 minutes on the piano, I'm literally aware of myself the mechanized part of myself. You know, I have a passage I'm working on and I'm aware of it. And after about 30 minutes, 35 minutes, I feel it going from this kind of tech technical um, machine-like behavior. And after that 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes in, it turns into music mm -hmm. because I'm no longer thinking of the mechanized thing. I'm just playing the actual passage. 
And that's when I get into a little bit of a flow state where, oh, it's, it's the music is coming through me now as opposed to, okay, go from B flat to this, to do this, to do that, to do this. And then all of a sudden that leaves mm -hmm. and you get into, I think what Steve Kotler, he calls it rest, richness, it's richness, effortlessness, um, selflessness, and the last one, timelessness. I like that. And, so that yeah. is great. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Eckhart Tolle talks about in The Power of Now that, you know, there are no problems in the now. Like in the moment, there are no problems. Right. And when we're fully present, we, we could feel lost, right? Completely out of control, but yet completely in control. What, what do you do, Leah, when to train mentally? Because I know that there, are, uh, this is something that I've heard ultra distance champions uh, of every discipline talk about, that it's not just the physical training, but there has to be a mental training with it. Otherwise, at a certain point, something clicks and they're done. So mm -hmm. what do you do to train yourself mentally for these? Yeah, this is definitely an area where I think I can improve. And I have a good example from my most recent race that makes me say this in particular. Um, but a few of the things that I do do in training are these like back-to-back -back long runs, like I talked about, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, getting yourself out the door for that second long run, even though it just sounds utterly terrible in that moment. Another one is forcing myself to run alone when I don't really enjoy running alone. Mm -hmm. um, so putting yourself in a somewhat uncomfortable state regularly to get used to that because in a race you're not always going to be running with somebody and you have to be working through stuff yourself for yeah. a large majority of the race itself um another thing i like to always say in my mind um in training especially is whether the weather whatever the weather and i mm. think running in whatever conditions you're handed on a given day um, my schedule for work usually is pretty irregular i'm running in the morning sometimes i'm running in the evenings i'm in the dark I'm alone. I'm with people. So getting used to, especially this Utah weather too, like it's kind of unpredictable, especially this time of year and yeah. snowy, it's icy, it's everything. Um, so just projecting yourself and putting yourself in these elements to get used to what could be thrown your way in a race. Um, so I like to always say, I like to control, I like to control all the controllables. Um, and I think the mental aspect of running is one of the most challenging ones. Cause I know I've read a few books on really like how to practice, um, some your mental fitness for ultra marathons. And it's, I think it's easier said than done because it's hard to put yourself in your shoes at mile 80 of a hundred. Sure, um, yeah. And in my, um, most recent race, the example I was thinking about was I was feeling pretty great all day. I was in second place and I needed to maintain second place to, get an entry into Western States, which I said is one of my uh, goals for this year. I ended up um, getting passed at mile 58 of 62. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling pretty okay up until that point. But it, once I got past, it was like this complete mental wall shut down and it shut down all physical abilities that I had as well. And I've never experienced a mental wall like that in my life. And I've been talking to my husband a lot about it since. And it's, I was like, how can I overcome that mental hurdle of, okay, you were just moving decent. You just got past. How do you just keep maintaining? So maybe I wouldn't have gotten second. I probably wouldn't have, but how do I not shut my body down? Like not let my mind shut my body down. Um, so that's something I'm still working on. And I think there's, there are things you can work on. There's only so much you can do in training, but I think this year I'm especially dedicated to improving the mind late in a race because it gets tough. <laughs> You're like, a softer, kinder, you're like a softer, kinder, you're like a softer, kinder David. 
Goggins. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you remind, I'm serious. I, I, you know, I listen to David talking. You know, David's hard. When he, yeah, he's harsh he and aggressive. About, yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah. but you're harsh and aggressive too, but it's coming out so nice the way you yeah, figure like out this, this intimacy that you have with yourself. Mm-hmm. It's the same as his. It's just done so differently. Mm-hmm. So the results is the same thing, what you guys actually do. But it's just a whole nother way of looking at it. And that's the first thing I thought I was like, she sounds like a softer, kinder David Goggins. Yeah. I'd rather sit on a couch to I talk like to her about running because David <laughs> would shame me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Like you, wouldn't, right. you wouldn't shame me. You would just go, yeah. Miles, so you need to do this. And then think about that and then try that. If that doesn't work, then you have to get a partner. And David would be going, fuck you. You got to run. <laughs> like, get your ass out there. hurt my feelings, right. <laughs> That's what Goggins does on his social media. Uh-huh. But, uh, right. you know, you, you do the same thing, which is deconstruct, figure out mm-hmm. where your gaps are yeah. and then work on them one by one. And I think that's that's one of the strategies that I've taught over the years. If someone needs to overcome something, you identify in the process, like don't sit around and have analysis paralysis, but go out there, try something. When you screw up, when you fail, when something doesn't work the way you want it to, then you break it down and say, okay, where can I do better? And like you're talking about going through and thinking about what's my strategy. So even simple mantras, whether, how did you say it? Weather the weather? Weather the weather, whatever the weather, which I'm pretty sure is a nursery rhyme that I had like when I was younger, but It's I it stays true to this day. It's just like you're weathering the weather, you're weathering the conditions, and it doesn't matter what it's like out there. You're getting out there. Um, so that's a, yeah, it's a it's a good step forward most of the time. Yeah, I think those I think those things make a big difference. One of the things I grew up idolizing Arnold Schwarzenegger, and some of these icons that were in health and fitness or sports. In fact, the poster behind me is Muhammad Ali. And one of the things that Muhammad Ali said is he hated every minute of training, but he wanted to be the champion. He wanted to be the best in the world. And so he stuck to it. Uh, Arnold, he jokes in the movie Pumping Iron about how the pump is the greatest feeling that you can ever get. And it's like, you know, you're pumped up and it's just, it's so great. Your muscles feel wonderful. It's like, it's it's the greatest feeling ever. And I won't go into all of his thing, but there are times where, and then he jumps to the next part and goes, you know, that's the thing between a normal person and a champion, because if you can push through that pain, that is what makes you a champion. <laughs> and so when I get into a moment in the gym, no, no, where, come on, come on, keep doing Arnold, keep doing Arnold as you're talking, yeah, yeah. you sound just next, like him. Thank you. Keep next doing time. it. <laughs> so when I'm in the gym, <laughs> I get to that point and I find something is just killing me. I'm pumped and the burn is there. I just keep, I hear that in my mind. That is the difference between a champion, you know, if you can push <laughs> through that point and, and it's silly and it's stupid and it's, it works. It, it works. You know, it's not like the, uh, the line on Ron Burgundy, 60% of the time, it works a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> this literally works a hundred percent of the time for me. It helps me to kind of push through it. Um, I, I want to jump to the, to the bear. Uh, you, you've done the bear 100 how many times? Twice now. So the Bear 100, to put it into perspective, I I looked up some statistics on this. The minimum elevation is 4,852 feet above sea level. So if I'm living in, let's say, California by the beach, and I come and I just go for a run, I try and do a 10K marathon at 4,800, I'm going to have a hard time running Mm -hmm. at that elevation. The average is 7319 so you're over 7300 feet 
at elevation. That's the average. The max is over 9,000 feet. And the slope is a, is a peaks out at about 35%. That's steep. I mean, that is super steep. Mm -hmm. People that drive down those hills and you hear the trucks breaking yeah. and it's like a 10% grade. <laughs> You're talking 35%. I mean, 45 is this, mm -hmm. 90 straight up. We're slightly below 35%. And you're doing 100 miles in that. I mean, talk about how physically you prepare for something like that. Because you're, you're, you're talking endurance. Mm -hmm. To do that type of elevation and to get that type of slope under your belt, it's more than just endurance. You've got to have some strength mm -hmm. uh, into it as well. So talk a little bit about how you train for something that intense. Yeah. So usually I, for a hundred miler, everybody's a little bit different when they think about how they train. You can either think about it in miles, in elevation gain. I think coming to Utah and training, everybody talks about, they always call it vert. So think about how many mile or how many feet you get in a week of climbing on the trails yeah. um, or in time. So I, I have a coach and the way I'm trained is usually in miles per week. Um, a lot of people are actually trained more with uh, time per week. Um, mm -hmm. So for a hundred miler, usually I'll peak out around 80 ish miles a week. And I, I'm usually, I guide how much uh, vertical climbing I do in a week. So I think one of the most important things for any race you do, but especially for mountain 100 milers is getting on similar terrain and a similar grade that you'll be on in the race. Um, so for example, the bear climbs probably like 22 or 23,000 feet over the course of hundred miles. Um, so I think that roughly ends up being probably about, yeah, 2000 um, 200 feet a mile or so when you're thinking about your training. Um, so that's something I try to do in my training a lot is get on similar climbs. So there's a peak really close to where we live, Grandeur Peak, which sits, mm -hmm. um, above Mill Creek Canyon. And that's 2,600 feet in about three miles to the top, six miles round trip. And that's a very sim similar and typical run that I'll do, um, because it's actually quite steeper than what I'll see on race day. Um, so I think that's a great training strategy too, is trying to be on as similar terrain as possible, um, and doing kind of back-to-back -back training and a lot of trail miles, if you're going to be doing a race on the trails. Um, but sometimes training on stuff that's going to be harder than you see on race day. That way, not only are you mentally fit for that, but you're also physically fit for that because I think both of those pieces are really important. Um, another, uh, main component of these hundred mile races is not slowing down too much in the second half of a race. Um, mm. and so pacing for me is one of my favorite things to do in a long race is pacing it intelligently and ideally like running the second fast, the second half faster than I did the first half if I can. Um, and I think that requires a pretty robust training base and endurance base to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, my, I usually take one day off a week and I think another important part of my training that helps me not only stay healthy, um, but be able to do the longer distance is I do all my easy runs very easy. And then I have like two days of really quality work a week that prevents me from having the physical burnout from training, but also the mental burnout. So I'm always looking forward to doing my runs. Um, yeah. that way it keeps training fun and then keeps you getting to the start line, whether you're, you know, a few percent under trained, I'd much rather get to a start line slightly under trained than like 2% over trained because then you're, you're in for a bad day. 
Yeah, especially in a long run like that. If you're slightly overtrained, you're going to go into a state of overtraining and get 100%. injured. You know, I look at this as I'm looking at the topography here on this uh, Bear 100. The highest peak that you cross is at about mile 93. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> and then you go down a little bit, pop back up, and then it's all downhill going okay. into Bear Lake from there. So, um, you know, it's interesting. You bring up the whole negative split concept. Mm -hmm. And this is a concept that I think really started to take shape about 20 years ago. It became very popular with marathon runners where they worked on having a faster second half than, than the first half. Um, how do you shoot for a faster second half when your highest peak is about uh, seven miles away from the finish line? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I think what's helped with this is um, knowing my body and knowing my fitness, but also having Strava as a resource out there. So oh, for any of the listeners yeah. who aren't familiar with Strava, it's a great uh, running and biking app where you can log all of your, your training. Um, what's been nice about it is there's lots of people who have run the race in the past. Um, obviously their race is on Strava. So I'm able to look at their race and especially people who I think I'm in similar fitness to, or might've run a goal time that I want to run. Um, I'll typically look at their race and see what they did. So say there's a guy that, you know, finished in 22 hours and 22 hours is my goal. I'll see what he did more often than not. He might've positive split pretty majorly. So I'll see what he did for his first half of the race. And I'll usually project my time into these aid stations and cruise spots to be, you know, 10 to 15 minutes slower than what he did. That way mm -hmm. I know, okay, I'm running. If I do this, I'm running smarter than this guy did. And I hope if all goes well and I control all the controllables, I'll be able to have enough energy in the second half to then pick it up and run considerably faster than he did in the second half. Um, so that helps. <laughs> That's pretty amazing to think about. I mean, I, I look around and I, it just, it makes me sad, frustrated, and sometimes angry at how out of shape um, we are as a society, especially in America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there was a joke on the, uh, as I was driving into work today, the uh, radio guys were talking about that there's a shortage of people, uh, that NASA has a shortage of astronauts. Mm -hmm. And while there's a, a shortage of work in many different places, or, you know, people, you can't find restaurants, mm -hmm. uh, servers can't find restaurants, people can't find people to work the cash register at uh, regular stores. Now there's a shortage of astronauts. And the joke was, what do you mean? You can't find super smart fit people to come and work for you. And in America, that's the answer is no, <laughs> right? Because there's so many excuses, but, uh, and we've used technology as the excuse oftentimes mm -hmm. that we, we have a screen that we can stare at 24 seven. We can go sit on the most comfortable couches, the most comfortable cars. But yet you're talking about something as simple as Strava, which is an application that you can pop up. And for somebody like you, it's a phenomenal resource to pace you, right? For somebody like me, it's the worst thing in the world mm -hmm. because I'm far too competitive. And if I see somebody on there, I'm like, I'm better than that asshole. I know. And I go far too hard and I get injured. So, uh, but for most people, it's a great way to pace and set some goals. It's a phenomenal technology, a phenomenal resource for people to utilize. Mm -hmm. Talk about what are some of the other technological uh, advances? I know science is a big part of your life, but what are some of the other technological advances that you use in order to train your best? And, and before say, you answer that, yeah. before, you, before you answer that, only because 
of time. Mm -hmm. um, and I know I know Steve will want to ask you this. I know I want to ask you that. So answer Steve's and then can you transition into how you recover? Oh, yeah. In terms mm -hmm. of nutrition, rest, sleep, mm -hmm. how do you recover? So go ahead and answer Steve's and just transition right into that. Yeah. So it yeah. could even be technology for training. And then do you use technology from recovery too? Yeah. Um, so I don't do a lot in terms of um, metric tracking for the most part. I wear a GPS watch and, you know, that holds all my data. I pretty much need to know or want to know in terms of training. So my watch, I wear a Poros uh, watch, which is I think the main brands in ultra running, especially are Garmin, Sunto, and Koros. Um, and you can put whatever you want on your screen there. So usually on mine, I have like elevation gain on a run and descent, and then also pace and timeout and whatnot. Um, so that's, you, that's most the most tracking that I do, metric tracking. Um, in terms of my body and knowing my body, I wore a heart rate monitor for a little bit. Um, and I talked a little bit about my easy runs easy and my hard days hard. I wore a heart rate monitor for some time just to figure out, you know, what did my low heart rate and my easy pace feel like? Um, so it gave me a good baseline to really listen to my body and know my effort levels. Um, so I did that. Back. And yeah. I think now I have a good feel for what's easy and what's hard or what's moderate um, and trying to stay away from doing a few too many runs in that moderate to hard zone and really scaling back and saying like, okay, my heart rate feels like it's a little higher than you know, my lower heart rate, um, for aerobic running. So I, I don't do too much. Like, uh, I think I use Strava a good bit. And then, um, just listening to my body and learning a little bit about my body over the years has been really helpful. I think something I don't do well is, um, get consistently good sleep. And I think sleep mm -hmm. is super valuable and a metric that a lot of people, it falls to the wayside whenever you're training. Um, and I think when you have a tough work-life balance too, stress is stress. So work is stress, life is stress, relationships are stress and training is stress. Mm -hmm. Um, and you recover from that by sleeping. And if you're not getting good sleep, you're not recovering and your cortisol levels are going to be through the roof day in and day out. So I think that's something that I would like to do better with tracking, um, and really maximizing that because I think there's a huge effect and a huge benefit from sleep that I'm probably not getting by, I get fine sleep, but probably not as consistent, as good as, you know, one could. Yeah. What are some other things that you do to recover? So if sleep is something where you're still working on it, what else are you mm -hmm. doing to recover? I know you mentioned before that you're, you're not pushing yourself too hard on your light days, but uh, right. do you have a, do you have a protocol for recovery or there uh, foods or there uh, yeah. ways of, you know, hydrating that are helping you? Yeah. So I'll take every uh, Monday off and um, I've been this past year, I've gotten a lot better about eating after running. So I think one of the most important things um, for sustainable training, but then also to see gains in your training is by getting food in your system within, you know, 45 minutes, more like 30 minutes right after you do a hard training session. And that used to be something that my husband and I were very poor at doing. So in the summer, we'd go for these long 20 mile, 5,000, 6,000 foot long runs up in the mountains. And all we'd want to do is, you know, crack a beer and sit by a Creek and just enjoy each other's company. Nice. Um, and that's doing the polar opposite of hey, that's a different type of recovery. Right? Yeah. So, you know, you're recovering mentally, but yeah, you're not yeah. exactly recovering physically from that. So this that's past awesome. year, I've done a lot better about getting anywhere from, you know, 300 to 600 calories of food in my system, primarily 
carbohydrates, but a lot of protein as well after, especially like hard training sessions and, um, long runs as well. Um, and then something that's been definitely headlining in a lot of, um, marathon running and then especially ultra running this past year is eating enough as a woman. Um, so I think for a long time, uh, female athletes have been told, um, you know, skinny's faster, like you want to cut this, you want to cut that. I think in order to maintain health and, um, have a good baseline and be able to sustain a lot of the harder training that you do is eating enough always. Um, so that's something I stand by all the time is just being able to do all the training that I do by fueling my body on a regular basis. Um, so I value that a lot. And I think that's helped a ton. Like I have not had any chronic injuries over the years. If anything, my injuries are always from falling on the trails. Mm. So can't prevent that. I'm just yeah. uncoordinated. I think there's something to be said for paying attention to body composition, because mm -hmm. I, one of the things I've observed is that the runners, the female runners that tend to be the leanest are the ones that get uh, injured more often. You know, I think there's an optimal range for everybody. I think mm -hmm. that when you go too low, uh, the body, if any of us, if our fat levels are too low, we can't maintain effective hormone production. And right. if you can't maintain effective hormone production, there's a cascade effect across all of the hormones, which obviously recovery is reliant on optimal hormone balance. And so I think that's a, that, that's an important part. So, you know, the goal isn't to become the most shredded person in the world. The right. goal is to become the person that can run the fastest across okay. hundred miles. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny too, when you get in a good routine of running and running consistently or just doing whatever training you enjoy the most consistently, I find that as long like eating a healthy balanced diet and then doing your consistent training on top of things, keeps you at this nice, happy baseline all the time. Yeah. So it's almost like it's that flow state of eating and fueling. You don't think about it because it happens naturally and you just maintain and sustain nicely. Um, so I think finding that balance is obviously challenging for a lot of people for various reasons and they have various mm -hmm. barriers to doing so. But I think once you reach that flow state, it's a, it's a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah, you gotta have a great relationship with food mm -hmm. for sure. Well, Leo, we're coming up on our uh, uh, the end of our time here, but we want to run into our rapid fire round. Uh, the rapid fire round is where we ask you the question, and we're looking for either one word or one phrase that okay. you would that would best encapsulate how you feel about the questions. So, are you ready to go? Yes, I'm nervous. <laughs> okay. Well, Leah Ying Lane, let's talk disruption. How do you disrupt your life in order to spark new growth? Oh, challenges. Okay. If you could go back 10 years and give your former self advice that would push your evolution forward, what would it be? People's opinions don't matter. Beautiful. <laughs> How do you tap into your creative power? Hmm. Setting time aside to do so, which I don't do enough of. <laughs> okay. Final one in the rapid fire is as you've evolved over the years, what is something that you used to believe that you no longer do? Hmm. I think, oh man, that's a tough one. I, I used to be a firm believer in like achieving, 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 and like putting myself in the well to, you know, be, a, follow the highest level of education and do all this and that. But I found a work-life balance and enjoying your life is much more important than, you know, any accolades in your hat. Beautiful answer. 
Well, that's it for our rapid fire round. So our final question that we have for you at Evolve, we believe that uh, people evolve their lives by stacking one simple habit on top of another. It doesn't have to be hard, just consistent. What do you think is the most important habit that you want our listeners to build on? Hmm. Uh, I think this goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, find a tribe to keep you accountable. I think accountability is key in uh, forming habits. So find your people and make it a goal, put it on the schedule and make it happen. Beautiful answer. Well, and on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another episode of the Evolve podcast. We want to thank our guest, Leah Yingling, for joining us and my co-host, W. Miles Riley. Uh, we've had a great conversation today, and we hope that you, our evolutionary listeners, took something with you that will help you on your personal evolution. Leah, we know that you are married to shit in the wood, <laughs> but uh, aside from that, what is the best way for people to follow you on your personal evolution? Uh, my main platforms are Instagram and I am Leah underscore Yingling on Instagram. And you can also follow me on Strava and see all the runs I'm doing around Utah and Salt Lake City. And I'm just Leah Yingling on there. And I like to follow people on Twitter, but I don't exactly tweet myself. And I think I'm also Leah underscore Yingling on there as well. And that's L-E-A-H underscore Yingling, Y-I-N-G-L-I-N-G. -I -I so on Instagram, I think you're the first person that's uh, told our listeners to follow them on Strava, which is actually <laughs> really cool because we can see what you're doing. We can see the runs. Uh, we can kind of creep on you in a little bit exactly. uh, different way. Yeah, It's motivating. We're, we're used to creeping on people on social media, but uh, yeah. not to see where you're running. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, and hey, folks, remember that it takes time and consistency to evolve, but first you have to disrupt. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. Miles, you missed your cue. I was muted. <laughs> I was muted. I just looked at it. I was like, you did I yourself. Because I, I, I did the cue. When you said evolve, I did it. And then you said I missed the cue and I looked in the Thank you for listening to the Evolve Podcast. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at evolve underscore cast and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve.